Welcome to How Things Connect podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Wang, and I'm so glad you're here. We'll be sharing modalities for personal transformation and talking to extraordinary healers, thinkers, and leaders who break through boundaries to expand consciousness as part of the regenerative movement. It's all about elevating and inspiring each other to be our most empowered selves as part of our collective evolution. Make sure to subscribe to How Things Connect podcast and join our community on Patreon. Okay, let's get started. This is part two of the interview with global changemaker and climate activist Brando Crespi. Part one is in the previous episode. Each one of these topics, we could go in like and, and just discuss hours about it. Um, what What's interesting about what you said is it's a simple method, relatively, which can have such deep impact, not just on um, reforestation, on biodiversity, on food safety, on water security, but also in helping rebuild a lot of these communities, right, which have been devastated because of you know, um, monocropping because of, let's say, war, um, civil war. What this technology actually starts to build is not just what those immediate impacts are, but in fact, long-term stability for particular um, societies and countries as well, because then you start to to be able to extend that value creation um, you know, whether it's actually um, helping women, um, you know, stabilizing family structures, um, creating more economic wealth for the country, et cetera, et cetera. And the, there are far reaching consequences, which is which makes this actually a beautiful solution and so inspiring. Which countries have been implementing this technology successfully around the world? China. China. Yeah. China is mm-hmm. producing um machinery uh to a lot of different pyrolysis systems to create biochar um china is um very conscious of their environmental problems also Mm -hmm. because they have a thin strip of land by the coast which is fertile and um And that land is getting less and less fertile every year. I was asked to work and I spent three years in China uh, going back and forth um, on the green belt around Beijing, which is the largest um, um, artificial forest in the world, a forestation project. There's gonna be something like 50 billion trees planted. But, they are planted, I don't know how many of them are not that successful in getting them to survive, which is why mm-hmm. when they discovered biochar, um, they realized that this, by adding biochar to the soil, their reforestation projects would be much more successful. Trees would survive, would grow faster and would survive much better the challenges of you know, being planted on the edges of the Gobi Desert, for instance. And um, so they are also using biochar and exporting it around this, on the Silk Road project. So they are bringing, bringing the technology and the know-how with them. Um, in, uh, you know, 
the northern Europe, Germany especially, is also very engaged, and uh, Switzerland. And uh, in Europe, we use biochar as an animal feed primarily. That's the main use of it because it, uh, given to cows, for instance, they uh, gain weight and uh, produce more milk and use less, um, are healthier, so use less antibiotics. And uh, I have a friend in Switzerland who um, indeed gives it to cows and puts it on the floor of stables and the cows pee and shit on it. And uh, all of that uh, is thrown into compost and you have the most powerful compost in the world, which is inoculated. And um, um, so, you know, there are examples, individual examples. And I think over the last three years, we've seen, uh, even in the US, a greater awareness of the importance of our soil. There's been, there's a wonderful documentary, I think called Kiss the Ground on Netflix about yes, that. That's right. And about how, you know, we're not gonna survive as a species. <laughs> Forget about, you know, uh, our planet uh, uh, has bad fever. But if we cannot grow food um, at scale in a safe and environmentally sound way, we're not going to survive. And it's not Absolutely. through, um, you know, aquaculture that we're going to, you know, feed whatever we are, 9 billion people by 2050, you know. So, so um I, I'm, for instance, now uh, working with some friends in the cannabis and hemp industry mm -hmm. about taking what for them is waste, um, the stalks and the bark of the uh, plant, and turning that into uh, biochar and putting it back into the grounds. And we've already seen increases of 200% in the um, active what called secondary metabolites of plants. Uh, and it creates a circular, there's no waste. Everything is right. reused. Zero waste. And it makes, you know, this whole concept of circularity, which is throughout nature, uh, is right there for us to use. And biochar is a wonderful way to do it. Also because um, we're going to get paid in the next few years already. We are... Um, through carbon credits because biochar is carbon. It's about 80% carbon. So when you take carbon from the atmosphere through photosynthesis, um, then, um, you know, if we let that, those plants rot on the ground, they go back that all those gases, CO2 and other gases, greenhouse gas gases go back into the atmosphere. If instead you take agricultural waste or trees which have been destroyed by bacteria like you know the olive trees in the Mediterranean or trees on the Pacific coast and turn those into and turn that into biochar and you put it in the ground, not only does it, increase yields, you're actually sequestering carbon and thus you get, you know, credits um, from the voluntary carbon market, which can be used to decrease your costs. So mm -hmm. not only are you farmers decrease 
the cost because they don't use artificial inputs like pesticides, mm -hmm. herbicides, pesticides, all kinds of so on, you know, toxic chemicals, right? Which are terrible, and mm -hmm. um, and the worst case of that kind of agriculture for me is really the what happened in India when Dupont and Monsanto mm -hmm. brought and marketed genetically engineered carb, um, cotton seeds. And um, they did it very effectively, uh, marketing. What happened, however, is that over 110,000 farmers committed suicide because after a few years, it was unsustainable. It was too expensive. And they lost their family farms they had for generations. And out of desperation, committed suicide, um, very often by drinking the pesticide. So it mm -hmm. is one of the things that American media never talks about. But um, <clears throat> it is an example of this industrial extractive approach to agriculture and to life, if you want. Which well, is profit-driven, and um, which it's is part of patriarchy. Unfortunately, that's you know, that's part of um, the ideology. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, we're not make... wellness. You know, we should be a no. wellness-oriented society for individually and collectively. Our laws should be judged on how much wellness right. does this law create, right? not for a special interest group, but for the community. Absolutely, so, absolutely. It's not that complicated, you know? It's just that, that, I mean, that is a reflection. Everything we see at the moment is really a reflection of our collective beliefs, right? And what our values are. And it's, you know, if anything this last year and, and this current moment that we live in is really showing us again, it's like, this is what we created collectively. Whether you agree with it or not, do we want this to be our future? Do we want to continue in this manner? And if not, we do have to, you know, we have to wake up to that. And many people have, and then many have not. And, and you know, we're in this situation. The, one of the things that you, you said earlier, which, you know, again, back to how disconnected we are from nature, right? Because if we, if we just simply put ourselves there, <laughs> you know, spend some time on a farm, spend some time in the mountains, in the jungle, and really observe, and you will see that cyclical effect, right? Then in fact, again, back to the whole idea that a lot of times the solutions we seek um, to create more abundance, to, to create more health and wellness, to, um, you know, address issues like poverty, climate change, deforestation, um, you know, food and water security is actually to look to nature, which if we just observe it and understand how um, these are systems, these are not linear, you know, hierarchical one way only, one way streets. It's, um, it's always cyclical. And when we can understand how each of the pieces fit in, we are, you know, we can actually um, perpetuate that abundance without uh, excess toll on lives, on communities, um, on our health. And, you know, I want to tie together your branding experience with what you're talking about here, because I think what you've said to me before is how there's such a disconnect between, okay, here I am, uh, let's say corporate CEOs 
and you know uh, whether it's you know CSR corporate social responsibility programs or you know even in a bigger way um, perhaps for multinationals that that are looking to kind of deploy some of their some of their capital in, in an area that makes sense what how do you tell the story right because there still is this um and and i don't think i do not think this is accurate at all i don't think this is fair at all but you know there's this idea that okay either you're helping the earth or you're actually making money right and there's this this completely illogical um cognitive dissonance that's happening and that's simply not true and one of the um, very interesting things about green charcoal biochar is that again it hits all those um you know multiple bottom lines that are not just about profit but about environmentalism sustainability actually saving lives and um actually being you know as a standalone business itself that's one thing and there's there's tons of potential there but also you talk about carbon credits right so there there's this way of telling the story um, and shifting from cost to investment and to understanding these returns from this investment not only do you have to question whether or not it will return monetary value but it will in fact return that plus plus so many other things and and you know who who is telling that story how are you telling that story Mm. to change minds you know because yeah. these are belief systems these yeah. are just yeah. belief systems well, i think there is a pent-up demand um for solutions i mean there are enough people uh meeting at davos or enough ceos in davos who are all saying ah we are ready to embrace a new vision a new approach and so on and then they go back home and they're still debating issues around shareholder values, stakeholder values, and things of that nature. So I've been following the whole impact investing movement for over a decade and um, have friends who are very actively involved in that. And uh, I hear a lot of, um, a lot of goodwill. Um, but then there is no follow through because mm -hmm. money still sits in um, in Swiss banks or wherever in London banks. Uh, and when you say, well, what are you doing with your money? Ah, we're doing this little project here with a little project there. And uh, and a lot of it is seems to me like um, um, an, another form of greenwashing. It's financial mm -hmm. greenwashing if you want. In the impact community, there is, oh, we don't have the metrics, you know, and as if metrics were the salvation uh, of uh, the financial community. If metrics were that good, we would have not, we would have all predicted a 2008 crisis, right? But uh, so metrics, to me, doesn't sound like a very good excuse to hold back. Uh, our engagement or the engagement of financial community. So what we've done is we've developed a model of blended finance, um, which we are uh, partnering with the IFC, the International Finance Corporation, which is the World Bank's investment arm to develop. And that um, takes um, 
impact capital, um, sometimes from multilateral institutions like the IFC, which finances multi-billion dollar projects around the world, um, and takes 20% um, of uh, philanthropy or 20% of that investment sum as philanthropy, but packages philanthropy as a way of de-risking the investment, which we're trying to speak in their language, right. addressing exactly. their concerns and their um, paradigm, if you want, inside. Mm -hmm. um, the 80% is then designed to be used uh, as a accelerator for social environmental positive changes. Um, the, um, so in other words, what um, after 35 years of working with philanthropy, uh, I've kind of come, we've kind of come to uh, understand that as a model, it doesn't really work very well. It may work very well in, in there's a place for it, but, um, but on the whole, you will not achieve the changes that we need to achieve at scale and fast enough to address the incredible speed at which some of these changes like our climate crisis are happening. Um, so we are now trying to uh, align ourselves with a profit motive or market forces. Um, and I'm self-censoring myself and using kind of more polite ways of saying it, but, and hoping that we can uh, present to the financial community projects which are very profitable from a financial point of view and from our point of view which actually bring about social and environmental changes. So uh, a lot of companies right now, Google, Microsoft, many more, even banks like Goldman Sachs are investing to offset uh, climate uh, uh, footprint. Um, and wonderful you know it's you know a step in the right direction but that's a cost for them mm -hmm. and so uh, as such it's seen as well yeah we need to do it you know our shareholders are demanding it our consumers are demanding it we have a reputational risk we need to address um so it works up to a certain point. Our approach is indeed um, not to ask them to fund long-term projects like forestation, which are necessary and important because every year we have a net loss of 10 billion trees on this planet. Um, and needless to say, but I'll say it, uh, trees really uh, do help absorb CO2 and fix it for 70, 80 years. Uh, the problem with that is that it takes 10 years for a new forest to start being a positive force in terms of carbon sequestration. So where we're moving today, and I'm, you know, this is my second week into this project and we're launching um, something called African Green Charcoal, which is 
We know that um, charcoal is responsible for 70% of the deforestation. We know that um, it's getting harder and harder for women to um, walk to a forest and bring home uh, firewood mm -hmm. with which to cook, right? Um, the forest used to be like probably 15, 20 miles from Dakar, now it's 200 miles from Dakar. And women used to have children to help them carry firewood. An immense amount of their time right. uh, was devoted to just- Well, plus it's a dangerous journey. It's not just the distance, it's also the danger that they will encounter. And, and you know, forest, and it's dangerous and getting more dangerous every mm -hmm. year and they have to travel farther. and. So it, it, it creates uh, all kinds of local problems, but it also creates problems in terms of biodiversity loss, but also in what I think I call zoonotic, and I, I still haven't learned that well, diseases, which are the yes. diseases that pass from animals to humans, like uh, Ebola, like COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, so the more you cut the rainforest, the more of those viruses, which mostly live on the canopy. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're intruding into, into, yes, and then we're basically releasing those particular species of viruses and bacteria that yeah. we've never encountered before and we don't yeah. have natural uh, immunity. Years to. ago, you would have somebody in Uganda die from it. And now right. their neighbor has plane and is in New York in yeah. know, 12 hours. So, um, you cannot isolate, it's not that easy to isolate things. Um, so um, this is a uh, charcoal in, in Africa. It's the second largest business in Africa after oil, bigger than diamonds. Uh, the prices are going up, population is exploding, urbanization is exploding. So the use of charcoal is becoming more and more important. And 600,000 women and children die each year from breathing those fumes. Mm -hmm. There are like 500 of, I know actually somebody was telling me there are close to 5,000 times the air pollution inside African huts, whatever you want to call them, is like 5,000 times the acceptable level in Europe of the US. Um, so you have um, a potential here of taking agricultural waste, turning it into biochar, compressing the biochar, uh, substituting that, which is now 40% less expensive than traditional charcoal, using the same distribution yeah. system, but mm -hmm. helping women's cooperatives to take a part, a, a role, a financial role into all of this. And, adding to that the fact that our machines create electricity and that carbon credits um, come to play. And so we could bring down the price of charcoal way below 50% of the existing mm. price uh, with all the social and environmental advantages that implies. But we could also take part of the profits of those um, of those projects and 
use them to teach um, farmers, especially agronomists who then go out and teach other farmers, which we've been doing, but we can do this at scale uh, throughout Africa and you know Far East and so on, uh, and make this incredibly profitable. And um, so for companies like Amazon or Goldman Sachs, which have devoted hundreds of millions of dollars to offset uh, carbon emissions, um, all of a sudden we are proposing to them that they can look at this as an investment and not a cost. Mm -hmm. In other words, they can make money, reinvest the profits in the local community, hopefully they will, and take the carbon credits for themselves. One ton of green charcoal is equivalent of four tons of CO2 reduction, um, of, of the value of CO2 reduction. Um, so, you know, eventually uh, as the price of carbon uh, sequestration increases on the international carbon markets, mm -hmm. and it's already, you know, um, you can get $150 per ton of biochar um, from Scandinavian uh, markets. Uh, we could do four times that um, with um, green charcoal. So it's incredibly profitable. Incredible, yeah. Um, and it just so happens to save hundreds of thousands of lives. Right. And, uh, you know, and have all these other good effects, you know, keep those forests that we need, they're our lungs. Absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is, we forget, I mean, I made a, I said something earlier about, you know, the earth and then I said, it doesn't matter. It's, the planet will go on. We will go extinct. The planet does not really need us to go on. I mean, this is at the end of the day helping us. It's enlightened self-interest, yeah. right? And, um, you know, again, in the, in, in the spirit of enlightened self-interest, that, that never excludes um, the economic side of things, right? So having economic abundance and having that profitability built in is actually very key to to making making this solution actually sustainable. So, so again, you know, on the on on the other side of the argument, you know, that the, oftentimes we don't talk about this, but it's it's um, it's very important. And so, your solution that you're proposing with African green charcoal and biochar in general is is extraordinary and so timely and so important and necessary for us right now. Um, where can we find you? How can we learn more about what you're doing and about Pronatura? Pronatura.org uh, Pronatura um, okay. is one way. The other way, that's not a very updated website. Uh, I've put um, uh, one million forests.org uh, uh, website up, mm -hmm. which is about this, uh, where there's a whole section on biochar. Um, and green charcoal. Um, I, I just wanted to add another thing, and that was that I remembered, I was thinking this morning about this conversation, and I was thinking about meeting Buckminster Fuller. Uh -huh. 
Uh, I was like 21 years old. I was in London. I was at Oxford, but I was in London. He was giving a talk. Very envious, yeah. And I went to see him. And I was blown away. I didn't understand half of what he talked about. My mind was like an overdrive, smoke coming out of my ears. But I took a couple of things with me from that meeting. One was the importance of systemic thinking, of thinking of systems and interconnectedness mm -hmm. of things. And the other thing was a trim tab factor. And I don't know if you've heard that, but the trim tab is the second um, um, rudder. Yes, that's right. Where you move a little bit and it rudder moves the entire behind the big rudder. Right. And that small little rudder yes. will allow the big tanker to turn on itself, or anyway, turn right. a lot more effectively. So it's it's a metaphor about mm -hmm. how a small, what is the most effective small intervention which can bring the biggest amount of change. And um, it, it truly marked um, my life and um, a lot of other people's lives, um, that thinking, and to me, Bachar and green charcoal are an obvious trim tab factor. Mm. And, um, you know, we will, um, we need to, uh, at the same time, look at what we call waste um, and look at it as a raw material because systemic in nature and yes. systemic thinking, there's no waste. Everything. That's right is a raw material for something else. Everything can be used for life. You know, we need to develop a biophilic consciousness. Absolutely, absolutely. Love of life. Love of life. And, Love uh, of life. And Which, by the way, we naturally are. We, we're set up that way. As yeah. human beings, we naturally are biophilic. Yeah. It's just sometimes been conditioned out of us in some ways, yeah. not actually, but it's in, in habitually. It's a misunderstood yes. concept of Darwinism. If I'm not a big fish, I'll get eaten up. That's right. There's not enough for it. <laughs> That's Malthus. So true. You know? uh, well, Malthus didn't know about refrigeration and canning, but uh, you know, we do have solutions. We Absolutely. have solutions. We spend an enormous amount of time reinventing the wheel. Look at the NGOs redoing the same thing over and over and over, not learning from one another, uh, competing with one another. I have mm -hmm. horrible stories of competition with other NGOs, which is, it's much worse than in the-, in the um, uh, I, know, I understand, yes, um, absolutely. And, you know, all I can say is, is thank you. Thank you for that, for the trim, um, the trim tab metaphor. And also just a reminder to all of us that no matter how sometimes dark the times are, sometimes, um, you know, how easily we can be prone to pessimism, that in fact, we just need to open our eyes and understand what's already out there that we're not seeing. And this is one of the big, um, big pieces, what you just discussed. How can we support you further? Ah. Um, I, I would suggest that um, each one of us look at 
what they can do because we are collectively feeling totally disempowered before what look like enormous problems which we cannot do anything about. No? So um, I think this has been, this consciousness has been nurtured quite mm -hmm. consciously by the um, by oil industry and other um, you Absolutely. Know, talk around climate. Um, there is a strategy to put the emphasis on things like recycling bottles and so on, you know, and we've spent, which is a good thing to do, but we spend a lot of energy doing that. Meanwhile, our house is on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think um, that obviously anybody has any ideas, any suggestions, energy um, to bring about change, which is aligned with us, get in touch with me easy enough uh, through pronatura.org, through uh, onemillionforest.org. Um, but beyond that, you know, I think it's, there is um, a real opportunity to bring about change in our individual lives. And it goes beyond turning off the lights and so on. It's about really being ambitious about how do we use our time on this planet? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that we want to really leave behind? And uh, <clears throat> so turn off the lights, recycle the bottles, but reach for the stars, you know, try and make a difference and you can do it. Absolutely. Start <laughs> things every day, start ah. Hug them, well, post-COVID maybe. <laughs> Be kind, you know, out of this sense of interconnectedness with people and with life forms, the animal world, the plant world. We are now in a cultural moment where because of, you know, the gifts the shamans have given us, we are starting to understand that there is a real intelligence in the, in the botanical world. We in the universe and anything that lives and yes absolutely in the botanical plant in nature yeah let me you let know? me leave you with um uh an image from oh, uh, two stories from uh, my work of shamans and uh, please uh, do please do the first story is that i i noticed when in the 70s that um uh, the shamans of the uh, Ash people and the Black Penis people, which were two communities I was uh, looking at in Colombia, after the big windstorms, would go and collect samples from the top of the trees which um, had fallen down. And believe me, when one of those big trees falls down, a lot of other stuff comes down because it's you know it's all so fascinating yeah. yeah but you don't want to be anywhere close to one <laughs> of those big trees falling down anyway here they were top, you know right samples from the top of trees and they said because it's richer it's full of life here you know so at some point we decided to test that and we did sampling of trees and looking for active uh, but you know what are called secondary metabolites, which are the active 
um, ingredients, which can be used as biopesticides or for medicine or whatever, at different heights. And what we found is the shaman were right. The, sometimes we would look at low branches and low leaves and low flowers and find nothing. And then when we went up, um, you know, and collected samples from the canopy, they would be incredibly rich of all of this. So they knew something, but probably even more amusing at some point, we're working in the, in the bee forest in Gabon, which is an amazing forest. And uh, Dior asked us to find um, a botanical extract that they could use to get rid of uh, melanin um, uh, spots on hands or face. Right? So we went to uh, one of the local shamans who looked at us as if we were totally crazy, you know, and why? <laughs> what? what are you doing? Why are you asking me this? <laughs> What's wrong with a spot on your hand or on your face? Anyway, eventually right. he kind of said, all right, I'll, I'll play along. So he took uh, what Terence McKenna would have called heroic dosages of Iboga, which is a... Dear. Uh, sacred plant walked into the forest and came back two days later with a resin. Well eventually we exported something like 80 tons out of Gabon of that resin because Dior, which had one of the best labs to study natural substances, found it to be incredibly effective. So when we asked him, how did you identify this? He said, because I asked the forest. I asked each tree, so there are these crazy pink people who, um, you know, want to get rid of the spots on their hands, you know, is there, can you help them? And one of them said, yes, my resin will. And uh, so I'm, I'm uh, slightly romanticizing what actually happened and which became an economic opportunity for the local communities because we got them to uh, collect the resin of this tree. But it's an example that I think over the next centuries, our relationship with nature will profoundly change. And it's one of the gifts that shamans have yeah. given us because they are able to transcend our self-imposed cultural limitations and looks at nature as something out there. That's right. No. Absolutely. Yeah. We are part stars. We are part, our, you know, our animals, our domestic animals and us are interconnected in ways which go beyond the love and affection that we know. And, and uh, if they get sick, we get sick. If we get sick, they get sick. And, right. uh, and this is what we have to come to understand is that we are on a planet which is suffering from a serious case of the flu you know and we've created it absolutely so let's bring the temperature down let's bring healing and and you know just the simple recognition that we are all connected i mean it sounds almost tried at this point but it's not because there is such profundity um in that idea, 
in how we're connected, really quite literally energetically on a technological basis. We are through the internet, through all the media that we're connected through. And then, um, you know, on a, on a physical level, I mean, look, I mean, this is not a pleasant example, but look at COVID, you know, that's showing you, it's like, look, you can't. And also, you know, look at pollutants, you know, just because let's say DDT was used in many countries now, it's banned in most countries, but guess what? That still goes into the atmosphere. Those rain clouds still rain on you. So don't ever think that, you know, something that happens somewhere else does not have an, a literal impact on you, both a literal, I mean, beyond literal, on, on every level, energetic, physical, um, mental, emotional. And I think to start off with even just ourselves being able to connect to, to our own bodies in, in a way that's not dissociative, right? Where we're completely focused on our mental engagement and we forget about nurturing our souls or our emotions and you know not feeling what needs to be processed. And that's just you know having more compassion for ourselves and in doing so, we have more compassion for the other yeah. and it comes full circle. And, you know, um, the interesting, uh, the story that you just shared about the shaman, it just reminds me that, you know, uh, again, we, we, we have all the opportunity, but until our own consciousness is raised, because what's gonna happen, right? Someone could take that res and say, great, now I'm gonna patent this, I'm gonna make these pharmaceuticals, I'm gonna, you know, start to make a lot of money and I'm gonna, you know, exploit, whatever the resources are there without actually having any sense of reciprocity with creating sustainability for this particular solution. So ultimately it doesn't last that long or it doesn't actually, you know, creates more issues in the community. And then that actually ends up shortchanging yourself. So it's, it's this short sightedness and this inability to think in systems. I think you, I think the whole Buckminster Fuller example was really, really good. And it's, you know, we as humanity, and this has nothing to do with who, which side you're on politically or not, has nothing to do with that. It really has to do with our humanity. And I just want to thank you again, Brando, for your presence, for your energy, and for sharing your experience and doing the amazing work that you're doing. Oh, and I will share um, the, the websites and stuff in the show notes. And, and just please keep doing the work that you're doing. We are you know, completely supportive of it. And um, thank you, thank you. Let me leave you with a thought which uh, was very clear to me when I first saw the picture of the earth, the earth rise, you remember in the, whatever it was in the 70s, 80s, we photographed the earth emerging, we photographed from the moon. Yes, yes, I remember, yeah. And I mean, I don't remember, but I've seen photos. Said, or, you know, I don't remember. But somebody, there was a, a concept that emerged, and that was that there's no more there, there's only here, and there's no more them, there's only us, right? And that seems to be uh, evolving into the general consciousness. Yes. So, that's where, uh, you know, we can focus on everything that separates us. You're a woman, I'm a man, I'm Italian, Brazilian, you're, whatever it is, you yes. know, our mind can focus on all of that. We have so much more in common. Common, absolutely. And we explore that, what we discover is that life is so rich because the more intimacy, the more connection we have, the richer our lives are and the more joyful they are. So. 
That's... I could not agree with you more. That is a very, very uplifting note to end this podcast on, um, especially right now. So thank you again, Brando. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it stimulating and supportive for your journey. You are not alone, and we are all in this together to imagine and create a more conscious and elevated world. Wherever you are, we are without a doubt in an accelerated time of ascension. Be a part of this global movement now. Subscribe to this podcast and follow me at Stephanie Wang 5 d on Instagram or How Things Connect on Facebook and send me any feedback and questions which are always welcome. Just DM me on Instagram or email me on my website howthingsconnect.com. I also invite you to join our private How Things Connect community on Patreon for bonuses, exclusive content, group discussions with healers and experts and the opportunity to connect more directly. Stay tuned and stay connected.